Good morning. Would you please stand and join me in the call to worship, which is printed in your bulletin. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be in your presence this morning. We ask that you would open our hearts, Lord, that we can hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
What a great word for us to, to sing as we begin this worship service this morning. So glad that you're here. Take a moment to uh, share a word of greeting with others who are here. Perhaps introduce yourself to someone you may not know. Give greeting to those you may haven't seen for a while. couple of things that I want to uh, mention to you in the announcements in your bulletin. Tuesday evening at 6, I'll be hosting a membership class. If you'd like to know more about the church, maybe what it means to be a member, I invite you to come to the class. Uh, we'll be meeting in the conference room just off over by the offices at 6 o'clock. And uh, if you're interested in coming, uh, let me know if you haven't already uh, today or tomorrow, Tuesday morning, so we can make sure we have uh, materials prepared for you. And also, we, uh, we still need a few volunteers for our Wednesday evening kids clubs. If you're able to help with that, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, be thinking and praying about that. You can contact the church office or Emily, one of the staff related to that. We also want to take a moment today to um, pray for those who do ministry in the church and through the church. A variety of things that happen uh, in ministries to children, youth, adults. Uh, happen on Sunday morning, they happen Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, different days during the week. And uh, maybe that maybe a ministry that's specifically in the church, maybe a ministry uh, outside of the church to others, it may be on a committee. Whatever the case may be, if you're involved in a ministry of the church, I invite you to stand and uh, ask, you, uh, ask you to stand and I want to offer a word of prayer for you. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for every person standing here today and for your grace and mercy on their lives. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be evident in all that we do. Help us to to seek to honor you with our service. Thank you for the privilege of serving. And we pray that you would give strength and grace to every person in whatever ministry they may be involved in. Help them, Father, to know that you are with them throughout all of the the preparations for ministry and the carrying out of ministry. And, Father, give us periodically glimpses of fruit that uh, we are able to see how you're working and what you're doing. Father, we want to thank you for your mercy and your grace to us as a church, for the opportunity and the privilege of serving one another and serving others. And we pray that your anointing would be upon all of us. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I did want to mention also that we have, uh, we have two uh, children born this week. Uh, Upton Wardinger to Dan and Jess and their family. And uh, Levi Fink to uh, Jesse and Melissa and their family. We give thanks to God for uh, these, these new ones in their families and in our uh, church family as well.
Our first scripture reading for this morning is found in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and 15 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it. But keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like an animal on earth, or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance, as you now are. This is the word of the Lord. This time, I'd like to invite you to stand for the Gloria Patri while the ushers come forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Father, we are grateful for your many blessings to us. Enable us now to give back a portion of what you've given to us, Father, that it may be used to further your work in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
for Jesus. I think one of the parts of longing for Jesus is being willing to be truthful about ourselves with Jesus. And so I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, our sin is ever before us. An unkind word, a jealous spirit, a harsh reply, a twisted truth, an apathetic response, an unrealistic expectation, a sinful choice. Set us free from the insecurities that drive us and forgive us for the self-centered ways in which we too often live. Let us hear once again your words of pardon. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. As we continue in a spirit of prayer, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, our hearts long for you. You've created us in your image. And even when we turned away from you, you seek us again and again and again and continually. This morning we declare that we long for you, we desire you, and we pray that you will fill us and transform us and change us. Make us new in Christ. Father, we come today recognizing that there are lots of things in our lives, lots of burdens and struggles, and there are joys and victories that we come with us, that we bring with us today. 
We thank you for the victories and the joys. And we pray for your grace in the troubles, the pain and the sorrow. We pray that you will give grace and healing to all who are grieving today. We pray for everyone struggling with health concerns. For Mildred Berry, Doris Asepian, Blanche Weaver, Tammy Dunmire, Luke Heisinger, Wade Marsh, Sheldon Emerson, Bob Jobert, Laurel Buecher, Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muecher, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, for others who may be on our minds today, bring your healing grace to them. Father, we pray for our church. We thank you for the ministries of this church and specifically for the children's ministries. So grateful that as a church, we care deeply about our children and to nurture them in the faith. As the, as the girls were singing, we're reminded of of how much we want them to grow in the nurture and grace and the faith of Christ. That as they live their lives, they will have a continual, lifelong yearning for you. And Father, we pray that for all of our children, and we pray that you will help our ministries to reflect that. As we think about Wednesday night, the kids' clubs, we still need some people to help. We pray you'd you'd put your hand on the right people, And we pray that you would allow us to use our gifts in caring for, nurturing our children. Father, we pray for uh, the ministries of other churches. We pray today for the Allentown United Methodist Church and Pastor Hudlin. Pour out your spirit upon her and this congregation. We pray for the Powerhouse Youth Center in Fillmore. Thank you for all of the lives that have been touched by this ministry. Continue to bless their staff as well as the the students who come, give them grace as they need to meet financial obligations. We pray for your your blessing upon this ministry. We pray for our nation. We think now of the many things that are dividing us as a nation. Race, class, gender. So many things, Father. We pray that you will bring your grace to bear and that the church will be at the forefront to be a place and a presence for healing and reconciliation. We pray, Father, for this world, and we think of people who are recovering from disasters and terrorist attacks. We pray for refugees, millions of refugees, and ask that you would bring them to safety and even to their homes once again. We pray, Father, for your church in Egypt. The church in Egypt has faced some very difficult days. And as this new official has taken office for the purpose of monitoring and keeping peace, let that be the case. And let your church be a beacon of light and hope in the great nation of Egypt. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for your grace on each of our lives. We offer our prayers through Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my willing soul. Bring the presence of the risen Lord to renew my heart and make me whole. Cause your word to come alive. For your purity, Holy Spirit, breathe new life in me. Holy Spirit, come abide within. May your joy be seen in all I do. Love enough to cover every sin in each thought and deed and Shows the path of peace. Turn my striving into works of grace. Breath of God, show Christ in all I do. Holy Spirit, from creation's birth, giving life to all that God has made. Show your power once again. Church to hunger for your ways. Let the fragrance of our prayers arise. Lead us on the road of sacrifice. That in unity the face of Christ will be clear for all the world to see. Our second scripture reading this morning is found in uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 7, and also chapter 5, 1 through 10. Immediately following the scripture reading, children may be dismissed for children's church. Hear the word of the Lord. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons... God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law 
have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through, for through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. This is the word of the Lord.
seated. God never forces himself upon us. He yearns for us. He invites us. He calls us. But he but God never he never forces himself upon us. He is and and I think the same thing is true when we talk about freedom. God wants us to be free. He creates us to be free. When you read the book of Genesis, chapters 1 and 2, you discover that God puts them in the garden and sets them free. And God's desire for his human creation is freedom. But even when we have rejected that and turned away from it, he doesn't force it on us, but he continues to offer it to us. And when we come to the the letter of Galatians, we find Paul talking a lot about freedom and bondage. And he says to the Galatians in the passage we just read that, that the freedom that God desires for us is that we would have such an intimate relationship with him that we would be able to call him Abba, Father. The same language that Jesus uses for Jesus. And it's the kind of relationship that that you have, a mature relationship that you have between a parent and a grown child. We can talk about the deep things of life. And you talk about the deep experiences of life. And you can share things of life that you simply can't, the kind of conversations you cannot have with a small child. This is the kind of freedom, the kind of life that God invites us to. And in chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says, What I really want for you is to have Christ fully developed in you. I want to see Christ in you. I want to see you come to maturity in Christ. That Christ, his spirit so fills you that you are a new person. And I think Paul is saying, if you want a definition of freedom, that might be as good as any. To be free is to be filled with God's Spirit. To be free is to be fully mature in Christ. And we use a lot of terms to describe that. One of those is holiness. To be holy. To be like Jesus. That is what God desires for every one of us. He desires that we would know that kind of freedom. And to live in that freedom. But even when we have been set free, even when we've experienced the blessings of God, even when we've begun on this road to holiness, it is a continual struggle to stay with it. Because for some reason, we are continually tempted to go back to bondage. And that's really where the Galatian church finds itself. The churches in the area of Galatia are wrestling with freedom and bondage. Paul says, you've been set free. Why would you go back? How, much, how foolish can you be? Why would you give up all of that freedom in Christ to go back to being in bondage to the law? 
And of course, they had there were there were Jewish Christians from Jerusalem who had, as we've talked the last few weeks, who have come to the churches in Galatia and told them, if you really want to be blessed by God, if you want to experience the blessings of God, if you want to know God in this intimate way, it's through obeying the law. That's what does it. All the rules that God set up through Moses and all the laws that the, that the, the people through history have done to help help understand those laws. When you do those things, then you find blessing with God. Then you know what it means to be holy. Then you know what it means to be free. And Paul takes exception to that vigorously. It's a struggle for us. There's something about the law, something about rules that makes us feel more secure than having a relationship with God that's based on trust. That feels kind of insecure sometimes. Because in the end, a relationship built on the law, a relationship built on rules, means that we can control it. And a relationship built on trust with God means that he's in control. And that's a struggle for us. You'd think it wouldn't be. I mean, it makes me think of, of the Israelites as, as they go, God rescues them from Egyptian slavery. They have, they, have, they have been set free from 400 years of bondage, terrible bondage. And miraculously, he rescues them, taking them out of Egypt and the plagues and through the Red Sea that opens up before them and, and promises them this great land. But it isn't hardly any time at all that they begin grumbling because God isn't doing what they want, them, what he, they want him to do. And what do they say? We were better off in Egypt. Are you kidding me? Really? Well, we had better food in Egypt. There's something about human nature that says, maybe I'd rather be in bondage that I can control than in freedom that's out of my control. I read the other day about a, a 70-year-old man who'd been in prison for most of his life and was up at, before the parole board, and they granted him a parole, and with tears running down his face, he said, I'd really rather not take it. I've been in prison so long, I don't think I can survive. I don't think I can exist. I wouldn't know how to live in freedom. And sometimes that's our struggle. The problem with, with uh, thinking, that, with this discussion between freedom and bondage, is that it's really about the motivation. It's, it's about the priority of how we think about a relationship with God. Because the priority of what Paul is talking about is about relationship and trust and love. He even says it's faith working itself out in love. And he's going to talk more about love in the, in the coming chapters. Whereas the rules are all about, really about obedience. But it's not just obedience. It's about perfect obedience. The problem is, we start talking about perfection. Instead of talking about trust. And they take us down two very different roads. When you start talking about perfection, Paul says, all right, if you're going to practice circumcision, you're going to say, we're going to do part of the law. He says, do you realize that that means you're obligated now to every law? 
If you take this route, now you're talking about perfection. You're talking about doing everything. You're talking about all of it. And there is a lot of it. Because human nature is, and we see this even back in the Garden of Eden. God says to Adam and Eve, don't eat from that fruit, from that one tree. And by the time you get to Eve talking to the serpent, that has become, God said, don't touch the tree. Now, I don't, we don't know exactly what happened, but you get a sense that they cited, said, we're not sure we can keep from eating it, so let's build a fence around that law and say we don't touch it. And if we don't touch it, then obviously we can't eat it. The problem is, I think if things had continued, the next thing would have been, you know what? Let's make a rule that you can't look at the tree. Because if you don't look at the tree, then you can't touch the tree, and therefore you can't eat the fruit. But it's hard not to look at the tree. So let's, build a, let's make a rule that says you can't, you can't be within 500 yards of the tree. And if you're not within 500 yards of the tree, you won't be able to see it. And if you can't see it, you can't touch it. And if you can't touch it, you won't eat the fruit. You can see how it just keeps building. And we keep making these lists and these rules. And that's why when you get to the Gospels, you, you find that there are all these rules about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. I mean, people had to count their steps on the Sabbath because you're only allowed so many steps on the Sabbath. And Jesus and the religious leaders have these arguments about what you can do on the Sabbath. And here is Jesus on the Sabbath in the synagogue healing people, and they are chastising him for that. How did they get from, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to, you know, there are six other days for doing these kinds of things with people? Rules. I think it's a lot to do with the story of the Good Samaritan. Here's this man on the road, beaten, robbed, left for dead. And these religious leaders come by and they cross to the other side of the road. It doesn't tell us why. What it tells us is the the Samaritan comes and he has compassion on the man. So it's by implication, they don't seem to have compassion. And the problem is... They're not sure if he's dead or not. And if you touched a dead person, you now became unclean and you couldn't sacrifice in the temple and you couldn't worship the way you wanted to. And so which is more important, following the rules so we can worship or taking care of somebody who might be in need? The defaults, the rules, if that's your priority, if that's your motivation, if that's how you think you get to God, if that's how you think holiness takes place. There, there is never a sense that, that following the rules leads us to generosity or compassion or gratitude. Paul says here in, in uh, chapter 4 that he, he says, he talks about how when he first met them. And he says, when I first came to you, you took care of me. I was sick. You were great to me. You are awesome to me. In fact, I think you would have given me your eye if I needed it. What happened? Where's your generosity? Where's your, where's your gratitude? Where's your compassion? And who turned you against me? What happened to us? When you live your life by perfectionism, by rules, by legalistic things, it always leads you away from generosity and away from compassion and away from gratitude because all you can think about is doing what I have to do, doing what I have to do, doing what I have to do. And people all around us are need, needy, hurting, in pain. And we don't have time for them because we give all of our energies to doing what I have to do. 
making sure the checklist gets done. I've been thinking a lot this week about what are what are the things that might be rules and, and difficulties, places of bondage for us. In verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4, Paul talks about how the, originally the Galatian Christians were worshiping idols. And they, they worshiped these idols, and these idols were like magic for them. If I do what I'm supposed to do, if I follow the ritual, if I, if I appease the idol, then the gods give me what I, what I want. And he says to them, you're really just doing the same thing with all of these laws and rules. You're basically saying, if, you, if I can manipulate God, if I do what God wants me to do, if I follow the rules, God will do for me what I want him to do. The issue is, Paul. I think Paul is saying, the second is far worse than the first. What you're doing now is far worse than following idols. Because when you worship idols, it's clear you have nothing to do with Christ. But what you're doing now looks a lot like the right things. They're just not done in the right way, in the right spirit, with the right attitude. And they are far more deceptive to you and to other people. When I was young, a child growing up, the, there, were, there were a number of unwritten rules. Some of them actually were written. Uh, rules in the church about you know, how you, how you de- determined whether people were holy or not. The length of a woman's dress. Maybe the length of even a woman's sleeve. Whether you cut your hair or didn't cut your hair. Whether men had facial hair or not. Whether you wore white shirts or Church of colored shirts. Seriously, I'm not kidding you. Um, whether you, you, uh, you know, you, did you think you wore jewelry or not? I mean, there are all these things that we use as a church to distinguish between people who were on the right path and people who weren't. You know, did you own a television? Did you go to movies? I mean, there are all of these things. I suspect that those are probably not things that we feel in bondage to so much now. So what are the things that might put us into those places? I was meeting with a group of people this week. We were talking about this. A whole variety of things, but it reminded me, our conversation reminded me of something I heard my professor at Gordon-Conwell say. He told about a friend of his who is a pastor who has discovered that journaling has been a huge spiritual help to him. And he journals every day religiously. It's been great for him. It's really helped him kind of synthesize his thoughts. It's helped him to hear God, speak to God. And it has been a huge tool in his spiritual growth. And he said, which is great. But he said, the problem is whenever this person preaches and talks about journaling, you get the feeling that if you don't journal, you have no chance of growing in Christ. And he says what he's done is he's taken his own experience and made a principle out of it. And I think that might be our struggle. How much time a day do we spend reading scripture? Mm, I'm not sure that's enough. You better up that a bit. How much time do we spend praying? How often do we come to church? 
How, are, how involved are we? I mean, even thinking about things like we've talking today about the children's ministry or, you know, we've done the, real, the Matthew 820 initiative for refugees and we have the prayer vigil coming up in, in a month or so. All of these things are good. But if we say doing those things, you, that you have to do those things in order to grow in Christ, or if you don't do any of these things, you will never grow in Christ, we are doing exactly what the Galatians are doing. They have now become rules, checklists. Instead of things that we do in order to experience God and things that we do in order to be drawn closer to God. Last Friday, a week ago Friday, uh, I got up and my routine in the morning, uh, typically we, Cindy and I both, we exercise and I go out and walk or run and I use that time to pray. And, uh, you know, it's early in the morning, it's pretty quiet, and so I'm out, and, and I, I spend that time praying. And when I got up Friday, I was, I was feeling a bit of anxiety about my sermon. It just felt like it wasn't coming together. What do I keep? What do I not keep? How do I organize it? What's the central idea? I mean, I was just really struggling with where the sermon was headed, and I was really feeling that. And so I went out, and I started to run, and... As I'm starting out and I'm starting to pray, these ideas start coming to me about my sermon. And I'm having this internal battle within me because I really want to think about my sermon, but I've sort of made it a ritual that this is my time to pray. And I'll do anything else but pray. And I can sense the Holy Spirit saying, okay, I've got some help for you with this sermon. I'm like, I don't have, I can't do that now. It's time for me to pray. I can't be thinking about my sermon. That that would be wrong for me to think about that. It's time to pray. And I just felt these, I mean, these ideas just coming to me and coming to me. Finally, I stopped and I just sensed the Holy Spirit. And I said, okay, look, Lord, you know all the things that I want to pray about. People, circumstances. I'm just giving them all to you. I really sense you want to speak to me about my sermon. And I spent the rest of the time doing that. It took me a little bit of time to not feel guilty for that. And that is letting something good become a ritual and it's bondage instead of freedom. When I got done, I felt a great amount of freedom to be able to let that go for one day. Now, are all these things good? Is journaling good? Praying good? Reading scripture good? Of course, all of that is good. And we need to do it. But when it becomes a checklist that we say, you have to do it this way, at this time, for this long, when we start quantifying that stuff, we are sliding into thinking about what we do instead of and, and rules instead of about trusting God and relationship with God and experience with God. Is it good to be involved in the ministries of the church? Yes, it's helpful to us. But we don't look at those things as measurements for whether we are spiritual or not, whether we are on the right track or not. They are a way of serving God and others. And I know it's a fine line that we walk. And there's a danger here. And and we we think the danger is that um, we might not do the things that we're supposed to do. And maybe that is a danger, but that's not the concern of Paul. Paul's concern here is, the danger is, that when we start making these rules, 
it's never just going to be about us. It is always something we put on other people. It always becomes a judgmental spirit. I see it over and over again. We have an experience with God. Maybe we're excited about it. We want other people to be excited about it too. And when they aren't, we start judging them. And our first thought is not, oh, I guess God may speak to them in a different way that he's spoken to me. Our first thought is, I wonder what's wrong with them spiritually. And we begin to box them in, and more than that, we box God in. And we create an atmosphere in which people have to look like us and think like us and have experiences like us. And we become very judgmental about that. And Paul is greatly concerned because not only does it do bad things in our spirits, but it's leading people down a path away from God instead of toward God. That's why Paul is so confrontational with them. And we didn't even read all of the things that Paul says that are confrontational to them. But he does say the people who do this are going to, they're going to have to face God's judgment. Because they have led other people down this wrong path. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 18. If you cause one of these little ones, one of these vulnerable, perhaps immature, spiritually immature people to turn away, God help you. It's never just about us. And the real danger with that is that what Paul is saying is what we're really doing, what we're really living, and what we're communicating is that what Jesus has done on the cross is awesome. It is phenomenal. It is good. It is terrific. It's just not enough. It's just not enough. And it's hard for me to imagine much of anything more heretical than that. Paul says, you are cutting yourselves off from Christ. Wow. And that's why keeping Galatians 2.20 is so vital to this whole letter. That Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I trust in him who loved me. He gave himself for me. That is enough. Period. And it's because of what Christ has done that then we practice spiritual disciplines. And we serve. And we obey but it always comes back to Christ. In chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says to them, why have, you let, why, why have you embraced this yoke of slavery? Why have you let them put this on you? Don't let them do that. And that reminded me of something that Peter says to the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. He says to them, why are we putting this yoke of slavery on the Gentiles that we and our ancestors couldn't do? Why are we expecting them to do it? Why would we want them to wear this yoke of slavery that we can't wear? And I suspect even though Peter had his struggles, and Paul addresses them in this letter, even though Peter had his struggles... 
I suspect that Peter said that to the Jerusalem council because he heard the words of Jesus echoing in his mind. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's freedom. And we ought to be serious about our faith. More serious than anything. But not stern. And not certainly not live in the despair of perfectionism that none of us can accomplish. None of us. In one of his books, David Siemens tells a story of a woman named Claire who came to him for counseling. She spent most of her life wrestling with the issue of perfectionism, the issue of being enslaved to the bondage of doing more, doing more, doing more, trying to measure up. She said, one day she said to him, I think the person in Scripture I identify the most with is Samson. And she didn't mean Samson who had great strength. She meant Samson in the last days of his life. After, he, after he'd been captured by the Philistines. And they chained him to a, a grinding wheel. And he spent his days walking around that wheel, turning that wheel, grinding grain for the Philistines to eat. That was his life every day. Day after day after day. Enslaved to that. And she said, that's how I feel. Some days she said, I'm walking, but most of the time as I walk around, I keep feeling the pressure of doing more, being more, and I start running. And I run faster and I run faster and faster and faster and I, until I'm totally exhausted. And when I get to the end of the day, I look down at all that I've accomplished and it's nothing. Nothing. No wonder Samson pulled the whole building down on himself at the end. And David Seaman said he, he thought about that image for a moment and then the Holy Spirit brought to his mind a passage from Luke. And he said to Claire, he looked at her in the eye and he said, look, this is the word I have for you. It's from Jesus himself. Here's what he wants to tell you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. He has called me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that word had a dramatic impact on her life. I guess that's my word for us today. That Christ has come to set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Whatever we may feel enslaved to, whatever rules are driving our lives, 
God's call is the freedom of relationship with him and the joy of knowing him. Holy Father, you know the the bondage we may feel today. We simply ask that you would Help us to see you as you are and to be set free through the grace of Jesus Christ who died for us. Amen.
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.